you're creative, you're crazy, you do not belong. I find success as a concept highly overrated because while failure allows you to move on, failure is your discovery of yourself. And it doesn't mean all we have as creatives is our way of seeing the world. Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew. Two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. There is no such thing as imposter syndrome. There is only the fact that you have not been rewarded and appreciated and valued and promoted and paid and celebrated as you should be. But anyway. That means at least we matter, right? If we get complaints, at least people care. Complaints are better than no complaints. Hello. Hey, oh, Julian. hi, Julian. <laughs> hey, how are you going? I was like... Uh, is this like I'm jumping in the middle of the podcast that it's just live? <laughs> hey, Julian. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you too as well. Excited to do this. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So we have this theory, Julian, that maybe it's the planner's responsibility or strategy's responsibility to make everyone else in a sea of impostering feel legit. And I propose that as a theory based on the fact that I've seen clients suddenly like something that I didn't think they'd like because they were talked into it by some very good, good strategy. And I've also seen creatives rise to a, you know, a good brief. So we just have this theory. So we thought let's, let's get Julian Cole on to talk to us about legitimacy in postering and the role that planning and strategy might play in that. So Two things come to mind there is like the first, it's really funny because I sitting as a strategist, I often feel that the one thing that every strategist has got in common is imposter syndrome. Like we all face it. And it's interesting because the way that I believe strategists have got to that point is because we don't have training. We don't, we're kind of these lone rangers who are often kind of put out by themselves and no one's trained us properly. No one's given us that foundational training in strategy. So we all feel like frauds because we've never had that fundamental training. We don't even talk about it that often. So it's great having podcasts like this. The second thing is, is that if a strategist was to help you get over uh, imposter syndrome, and I think one of the biggest skills that we do is we're like a translator translating between the science and the arts or, you know, between the creative and the business. And I think that's where we can help when you're feeling frustrated, like if you were in another country and you had a friend who could talk their language, that's going to make you feel so much more confident. You can have such deeper conversations and you can feel like you're heard and understood. So I think that's probably where that idea of the strategist can make you feel um can move that uh, feeling away of, of imposter syndromes for creatives. I love that um, explanation as translators. What a planner or a strategist can come in and do is do that translation piece where they almost sort of like go, I have no opinion, but here are the facts. Of course you have an opinion, but you present them as facts. Amazing moments where it becomes that irrefutable truth where they've gone from, I don't like it, but I can't disagree with this. So now he's done this kind of linguistic kung fu on me and I'm start finding myself agreeing. And, you know, that's why strategy can be so, so, so powerful. But also, you know, as everything, there's a flip side to that. But there's a massive pressure on it because any creative person who's honest with themselves will tell you that the right brief 
you 50 75 percent of the creative job is done you know it's almost effortless and again the opposite is true so there's a lot of pressure there right because you you set the course of the ship for sure i think that the the moment of that brief and the pressure around that brief is something that we've built up but can be easily fixed too uh so i've got two things and and would be great to hear from your perspective as a creative on the other side of the fence, what you think of these uh, two things. So the first thing is, is I used to always feel that pressure around the creative brief. This is the big moment for the strategist. This is my presenting of the creative idea. Uh, and that pressure, again, if we're talking about imposter syndrome or, or putting extra pressure on yourself, that meeting of the briefing horrible horrible because you it's your one shot where what i realized and, and talking to other strategists is the better way is to have the sidebar conversations get alignment with your creative director before you even present the final brief and kind of feed them feed them the kind of trail of where you're going or give them options because there's never one brief you can write the brief multiple different ways it's whatever's resonating with the creative team and so for me, that put a lot of, that took a lot of pressure off. There's this theory that I love called uh, Nemawashi, which is Japanese for hallways over boardrooms. And at first I, I thought this was silly, but you get consensus in the hallways, then you take it to the boardroom and it's kind of a, like a done deal, finished piece. At first I was like, what a waste of time. You've got to go to around to all these people, get alignment and then go into the boardroom and have that meeting. Why don't you just present your idea if you're a strategist and you're so smart you can eloquently convince everyone in the room and I realize that's that that it actually doesn't work the better way is to build a coalition and if you're presenting to more than two senior people at once so your creative director and maybe the account director you need one of those people on side with you to swing the other person because if you don't get uh one of those people if they're not convinced they'll look at each other and it'll usually 90 percent of the time go to a no so getting that coalition, building coalition, changing the brief, getting the words of the creatives into the brief is going to help you um, take the pressure off that one moment of the briefing. As Julian just mentioned, Nemawashi describes an informal process of quietly laying the foundation by talking to the people concerned, gathering support and feedback. In Japan, high-ranking management expect to be let in on new proposals prior to an official meeting. If they find out about something for the first time during the meeting, they will feel as though they've been ignored and they may reject it for that reason alone. Second point is, I also believe that uh, strategists need to adapt to their creative partner, their creative director. So if, if we take the get who to by brief, because I believe that's the easiest brief for everyone to understand. Say that again, the what the get who to buy brief oh, okay yes the get who to buy brief is a simple brief formula that's used at bbdo that i love to teach because it's so simple so the get is the consumer the who is the consumer problem the two is the consumer goal and the buy is the single-minded proposition or the message so when you're writing a creative brief um, we'll often write it as a get who to buy. And you probably got those elements in a brief format, no matter where you work. What I realized is depending on the creative director you work with, you will 
get to the buy statement, the, the, the most important part of that statement is the who statement, the consumer problem. You always have to have that as a strategist. But the buy statement, which is the single-minded proposition or the solution to the problem, in my mind, is often cracked by the creative team. So at BBDO, my briefs about 80% of the times got beaten by the creative directors who said, that's not the solution, this is the solution. Ah, oh, you're right, that is a way better solution or that's a way better statement. Where at BBH, they liked, you know, that they would work with me on the solution and that would not often get beaten. It would be the same one, the creative brief would stay the same no matter where, you know, from the start to the finish. But once I realised that, that also took a lot of pressure off my shoulders because I, I no longer felt, and I, you know, the worst thing a creative can feel and a, a strategist can feel is that the creatives aren't listening to me. The creatives aren't listening to me and they're disregarding my brief. And I just feel like useless. Why am I even here? They should just take the client brief and give it to the creative team. And what I realised was, um, no, you've got to adapt your process. And if, you be, if your brief gets beaten and the consumer problem's rock solid and it gets beaten by a better solution, that's great. Better work coming out of it. So those two mentalities, so the first one of not thinking it's the big performance, the briefing, and having that nemawashi, those hallway conversations with the creative director beforehand. And secondly, not being embarrassed or ashamed when my creative brief gets beaten uh, were the two things that are kind of key to me around briefing. And there's, there's a couple of things I've believed and seen um, in action that the creative department is an extension of strategy. And there might, there might be two in strategy and 24 in, in creative, but it's that kind of shape that creative comes from strategy. And, I, and, I, and then there's, <laughs> there's another thing which has stuck with me forever, which is about pitching which is that, you know, you, you, you win a pitch on the creative, but you lose it on the strategy. And, and, that, and, and that, again, is that imposter thing. It's kind of like, who do we blame in this creative agency as to why we lost that pitch? Well, we don't blame the creative because that's our product. Then there's not many people left in the room that played a vital role, so you blame strategy. So you lose it, and, and that's kind of hard. You, you're, you know, the, the strategy and the planners aren't generally the ones whose backs are padded the most winning a creative pitch. So that impostering thing isn't is kind of like it's like well where am I in this is that something that that you've seen the the worst one of the worst things that happened at the start of my career was we we're at this small agency so TCO really small and we got ourselves we we're on a bit of a hot run because we're doing like digital and social at a very early time in social like two thousand nine. Anyway, we got ourselves onto a traditional pitch for NRMA, um, which is a car insurance company in Australia. And we ended up winning the pitch against like four of the best agencies in Sydney at that time. I was over the moon because this was the first time we were like playing with the big hitters. And we talked to the client afterwards and we're like, so what won it? And they're like, we loved the creative idea. And that was something that I'd helped create. So I was really happy about that. It's like your creative idea was really good, but your strategy um, it wasn't as strong as the other, the other agencies. And I was mortified because I was the strategist and I was a strategist and creative, but I, I thought I was a strategist. 
And that probably, if I, I look back deep inside myself, um, where did my imposter syndrome come from? Probably that was a great place to start because here I was um, being told by a client, you're not as good as, you don't know strategy like these big agencies do. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was a horrible moment from from that's maybe a part of why you ended up there, right? Because you went, okay, I'm going to go to BBH and BBDO there. Yeah, I'm going to learn what I feel about wound. There was something yeah. um, you said earlier that I found really interesting, which is that, that idea about collaboration as well. Because I think, you know, strategists and creatives, you know, we're, all, we're all pretty much the same, I think. You know, agencies put us in departments, but we're all part of the same process. And I think we all have that desire for the ta-da moment, don't we? That moment of sort of like, I'm just going to go off into the dark and then come out and just go, wrap it out of hat. <laughs> And we all have the urge to do that. But the, the truth is, is that that's also a massive source of imposter syndrome. And actually, if you can sort of show people your ideas and collaborate with them, if you can get the confidence in yourself to show people a work in progress, then the only thing that can happen is it will be better. It won't make it worse, right? Learning that is just so fundamental, but it's really, really hard. Mm. You know, the creative is really hard. Nobody wants to, you know, you say, how are things going? Yeah, yeah I'll show you in like three days, even if you kind of got it already. Mm. Um, and it's interesting to know that planning is kind of the same. Mm. Totally. It's the same pressure. We have that same pressure. Are you going to pull it out of the bag for this one? I know you've done it for the last 20, mm. but can you pull it out? Are you going to find the, for us, the idea is often the insight. What is the revelation? What is the unheard truth that you're going to pull out that's going to make this this brief sparkle or, or shine and so that that pr- pressure is the same but it's comes back to that um therapy line of a problem a problem shared is a problem heart and i think it, it is so true especially in um planning in planning and and any strategist needs to have that relationship with their creative director. It's just so essential that you are rock solid and tight because we are, uh, we can, we're only as good as a creative. There is never, there has never ever been a great strategy with poor execution, poor creative idea. Doesn't exist. You never have. It's not a strategy. If if the creatives can't execute off it, doesn't matter how how nice those words are. It's, it's not important. And that's always how I saw it. I always said the creative is the most important thing. The output, that output is important. And I think some strategists get a little lost. They get a little lost in creative agencies and think they're management consultants and their output is the final output. It's the creative, it's that creative campaign that comes out. And that's what we've got to all hold our hands on to. I wanted to ask you, because I've heard you speak before about um, imposter syndrome and how it can plague planners. And a couple of things here in in what is it about the job particularly that makes you feel like planners are waiting to be found out? And when was the last time you felt like a fraud? I think that the reason for me, it might be different to the creative imposter syndrome. And this is the interesting thing I'd like to hear for you because I've pinpointed it as education. It's like that no one is taught the fundamentals of strategist strategy. You are, you know, oh, you're the smart account guy. Yeah, you do really good upfronts. Let's put you in strategy. That I, I can't tell you how many people's, like, that is how they got into strategy. That is most people. 
like every strategist, every strategist has got this fear. They say, I was never traditional. I never got the traditional training in strategy. And you know, the crazy thing is no one had that traditional training in strategy. There's this belief that we have, which is there's this Oxford professor that's, you know, working in London somewhere. I'm sure it looks to me, it sounds like Rory Sutherland at Ogilvy. Stephen King, isn't it? Stephen King's one of the guys. Stephen King. And he's sitting down all the strategists and he's giving these lectures and sermons and they're amazing. No one has had that. No one has had that training. No one. No one. And so, but we all hold ourselves against that ideal. I did it when I moved to New York. That was my thing. I was like, I am a fraud. I'm going to get found out. This is me. I'm working at BBH now. But once I told people, they brought me in and they taught me. And that's why I, I found the opportunity with what I'm doing now, which is the strategy finishing school, which is teaching those fundamentals and trying to move that imposter syndrome away. Julian Cole's Strategy Finishing School teaches the fundamentals of strategy, providing you with the confidence to walk into any room knowing you can deliver value. It has over 2,000 members who have access to lessons and the frameworks to be better at their jobs. Julian is offering our imposterous listeners 25% off lifetime memberships. If you're interested, please go to our website, theimposterous.com. Because I think if you can show people some really simple formulas of what you're meant to do in your job and you can say, hey, this is what you should do, this is what's expected of you, that's that's going to help alleviate it because we're in this mystery, this magic um, of strategy and the more people who can just go, nah, this is it, we do three things here. And that's what I used to do with my comms finance. I'm like, you got three documents you create, you can do whatever else you want around them, but I want to see a comms framework, blueprint, and a campaign ecosystem. Um, and they knew. They were just like, okay, that's what I'm doing. I don't have to do all the rest of the, you know, anything else is that extra source on top. Um, so I think removing the mystery is the main thing, and that that comes through education. But I think the funny thing is I, I actually did a, um, I was put something up yesterday on LinkedIn, which was uh, the junior strategist always asks, they're like, hey, can you show me strategy director? I'd love to understand your strategy process, how you um, do it. And I've got this meme of like Homer Simpson going back into the bush, mm. like hiding. And I'm like, that that is that is every junior strategist. And it's a shame for both people. The strategy director feels embarrassed because they're trying to teach this person, but they've never been taught the process themselves. And they've never stopped to think, how do I do what I do? And stopped. And then the junior strategist, it's a shame there too, because they're never going to get taught. They're just saying, trust your gut. You know, here's a brief. Look at some of my old brief templates. That's not going to help me. So do you think then the creatives, like creatives are quite welcoming. Creatives of any years of experience will talk to someone with no years of experience about how to do it and how to be better at it and how to get in. Is that, is that camaraderie stronger in creatives than, than amongst planners then? I would say, so I think the structure of a creative department helps to build that camaraderie Mm. because a creative, you you look at the creative department, you've got more people, you've got a creative director who then has two creatives underneath them. How many teams, you know, it depends how big the agency is. Maybe you've got four teams under you and then there's the CCO above that and however the structure is. But there's groups of people, you're never alone. Where a strategist, you have to be on a really big account 
to have two strategists working on it. You're on like the global account or something. So you're from day one, you're out there fending for yourself. So you don't have that time. And the same with the account team. Accounts are very close to creative because they're mirroring. They're seeing their boss. They're seeing how they interact. They're seeing what resonates with them. They're getting feedback. We get no feedback. Like you don't, you often don't. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're like the, hey, guy, solve my problem. <laughs> like you're like, the, hold on, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. Oh, I know why. Yeah. Let's go. Talk to Julian because this brief's terrible. That's why I'm yeah. stuck. Hey, solve this for me. And you just like, <laughs> hey, you know, and and you don't, yeah, you just don't have that experience of modeling in the work environment as much. You're not, you know, often they, and this was a big thing for me. I was like, never split up a strategy department. Lots of strat, lots of agencies love to do it in client teams. Not doesn't really matter. And it's probably a bigger problem now with Zoom and people working from home. But just having a strategy group together is so important because you need to hear those conversations. You need to hear them when the account person comes over. How do they interact? What are they? Oh, that's how they get over that problem. Okay. And the bad thing right now is we've lost three years. If you're a junior strategist, I feel so sorry for you right now because you've lost three years of that environment learning. are you not to be great? You, with the imagination of a brilliant child and the powers of an ancient god, who are you to be ordinary? You, who can rescind life or raise the dead? Who are you to be afraid? You, who can serve as judge and jury while hoarding infinite lives? Who are you to be a slave to the past? You, who can travel time like the oceans and rewrite history with a single word? Who are you to be anonymous? You, whose name should be spoken in reverent tones or in terrified whispers. Who are you to deny greatness? If you would deny to yourself, you deny to the entire world. And we will not be denied. Just on the subject then of imposter syndrome, um, any examples where you've seen it destroy work, culture, even careers? Because you obviously are someone who, who, who feels that there are, um, you know, planners and people and people that work in different industries suffering from, from that. Have you ever seen it get to a point where it's been too much for individuals or, or workplaces? I, I think I can only talk to my personal experience because I think imposter syndrome, it's really hard to see when it's hurting other people and holding them back because there are so many, when we talk about mental health and so many other things that are massive issues for creative people, it, it's hard to pinpoint that that was imposter syndrome. So I'll talk to my own experience because that's what I think I can talk to. It definitely held me back at the start of my career when I moved to New York. Um, when I moved to New York, my experience as I have talked about before, I kind of talk it down. I talk it down by saying, hey, I worked at backyard agencies. I should stop saying that because it's it's kind of talking down that experience. And I did that when I moved to New York. I had massive imposter syndrome because I'd never been taught the fundamentals of strategy or never had proper training. But the second thing I did was rejected all the experience that I had in Australia. And what that did was I didn't make any work for the first two years of being in uh, New York. And as creatives, we know that is like kills you, kills you on the inside. 
And what the what I realized was I was trying to sell innovative work, digital work. I was at a very a traditional agency and the clients only wanted to buy traditional. They didn't want to buy digital work. One of the things that I'd learned um, were presenting, I think this was at BBH to Axe. Oh no, sorry, it was to PlayStation. And we had a very innovative, like integrated kind of campaign that was going to force them to do something new, take extra time away from what they're doing. The last three times we'd presented innovative work, we'd never talked about um, the budget or KPIs. And I brought that up like softly, a little meekly to the CD. And he said, no, 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 no. We don't talk about money or, you know, they'll find money if the great idea is there or, or they'll just buy it. And what I realized was my experience in Australia when I was selling integrated stuff there and quite kind of at the forefront of digital stuff and selling in social back there, it was all about putting KPIs um, around key performance indicators and goals around what the work will achieve. And I had always been embarrassed to not bring that up when I got to New York because I was like, oh, maybe you don't talk about KPIs. Maybe that, you know, goals, that's kind of like, that's what only small agencies do. And what I realized was that actually is what clients need. Clients want, it's almost an insurance policy. It's not, an, you know, it's a guide, not an expectation. And I think a lot of people in America saw it as like, oh, this is the contract. If you say a KPI and you say, hey, we think it's going to get to these numbers and here's some pieces for you, they think that we're going to lose the agency if we don't hit those numbers. Where what I realized was in Australia, we realized, and that's just like, that's the, the goalpost. That's what we're aiming for. But what it allows clients to do is sell in more work. And so because I, I had kind of discounted my whole experience and then kind of I'm not as smart as all these other people, I never brought that up. But after a, two years of not making work, I, I'd kind of had enough. And I was like, all right, I need to bring this up. And I said, let's do KPIs. We need to do this. Had a big fight with the creative director. But in the end, we got the work sold because we did that and we changed our whole approach to how we uh, presented innovative work. So I think there's two years of work at BBH that's sitting in some PowerPoint folders that was freaking yeah. amazing work yeah. that died. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that's great. That, you know, like the two points, I guess, of the KPIs and, and also the other point you make re regarding the budget, kind of knowing what that is, gives, gives you, giving you the framework to actually respond to to set you up you know to actually say this is why this is right because of these gives you more reasons to kind of yeah answer and and it just gives and it and and especially for people who don't work in creative and who don't want to take risks which is often the marketing side as they get further into the organization to sell in a creative idea they're talking to people who need different things and they want numbers they want budgets. They want numbers. What's this going to do? What's this going to hit? And if you don't arm them with that, they're going to get their lambs to the slaughter. Was there anything else on this subject that you wanted to talk about or, or mention? If you are feeling imposter syndrome, especially like I think I can talk to the strategy version of imposter syndrome, and I yes. think that is um, something, just know that that's something felt by everyone. I often say that, um, we have this idea, as I was saying before, of this amazing philosopher who teaches the students um, of strategy in some agency that exists or some company in the world. It it doesn't exist. That doesn't From exist. From the kingdom of Keynote. Yeah, it's like <laughs> kingdom of Keynote, here we go. 
it doesn't exist. So, so take solace that that's, that's true. The other thing that I think is true is when I started in strategy, I thought there was um, a secret herbs and spices recipe to strategy. There was like some special one that only the Colonel knew and only the best agencies and strategists knew. But what I've realized as I've gone further into strategy is there's no one way to do strategy. There's no one strategy process. What I say, it's it's more like um, your grandmother's spaghetti bolognese recipe. She's got her own flair. Everyone's got their own one. And that is how they do strategy. And so the best thing that you can do is go and work under a number of different strategy directors, pick up what you like from their process and then put it all together. And, and that's where I think also the strategy finishing school, what I'm trying to do is I'm not telling people this is the one way you can do it. Yeah. I'm saying come in here, learn, take the tools that you like and um, take it from there and, and bring that and bring your own flair to strategy. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Thanks again, Julian. And uh, yeah, between us, I've been dipping in and nicking stuff off your websites for almost a decade. And, oh, um, great. It was, um, it was actually really lovely to finally meet you. Um, I think what you're doing is awesome. And I think um, finding out why you do what you do, which is your understanding there's no education, so therefore I'm going to set up a school. I think that's very cool. I think it's yeah. very cool indeed. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Great to chat to you today on The Imposterous. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and soundhouse in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.